look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hi, everybody. This is Peter King. Welcome to the FMIA Mini Pod. This is a short preview podcast to my longer Football Morning in America column at NBCSports.com and ProFootballTalk.com. It is 3.40 a.m. I'm in Brooklyn in my apartment. And as I do every week, I'm going to go over a few things that happen in the NFL We're going to say a couple of sentences on every one of Sunday's games. And I want to start by telling you a little bit about what I did the last week. Um, I spent a couple of days in Green Bay on Wednesday and Thursday um, looking into the future of Mike McCarthy. The 55-year-old former Green Bay Packers coach led the Pack to a Super Bowl championship in 2010 and since then has been fighting to get back, never did, and the Packers fired him uh, 54 weeks ago after in his last nearly three years, he went 23-23-1 in that period of time, and uh, the Packers moved on with Matt LaFleur, and they are LaFleurishing. They're 11-3. Mike Uh, McCarthy and his family stayed in Green Bay. His wife is from Green Bay. They have a beautiful home there. And I went over and spent some time with him. We talked about his future. I also recorded something uh, in the car one uh, one day when on Thursday just before I left. And I want to play that for you first. You'll get a little sense of what Mike McCarthy has been up to. And then I'll come back and we will talk a little bit about this week's column. So, driving away from Mike McCarthy's office barn uh, just outside of Green Bay, spent some time with the former Packers coach, and Mike, you'll hear a lot of this on the podcast this week, but the one thing that strikes me that I did not expect is sort of the emphasis on the new, the emphasis on some things that people might not really know about you. We spent a lot of time talking about analytics and about what you would like to bring to whatever your new job is, assuming you get a new job in 2020. How did you become a big believer in analytics and what do you think of it? Well, I know based off of perception, you know, per our conversation, but it's really been a big part of my path in the National Football League. Uh, I entered the NFL as a quality control coach, uh, so always have had a data processing background. And, you know, I think those things sometimes get lost in, you know, in your profile. 
when you do you know, move up the ladder in a sense. But yes, there, there's so much, uh, so much out there, particularly this day. I think the third party uh, companies have, have really made an impact, um, you know, in our industry. And I think it's important to always look for, you know, new, better, quicker ways to come to, you know, good sound decision-making uh, results. So that's, that's really what this extra time been able to really dive into the capabilities and kind of re reprogram your your outline and outlook on a on a football tech department and and really how analytics are not only used but applied to the everyday you know training and coaching of your football team you spent a day in your uh sort of football discovery process over the past year. You spent a day in Cincinnati at Pro Football Focus, which people would know it's as PFF. They're kind of pushing the envelope of data, data gathering and analytics. What would you take away from that day? Well, I, I just can't thank, you know, Neil Hornsby and, and, and Chris Collinsworth enough to really open their doors. But, you know, the one thing that's very evident, uh, you, you walk in there and it's uh, – it's a computer football sweatshop. I mean, just I don't think they could fit another individual in a computer into their building. So it's just the, the ability to grab and collect data is, is something that I was very impressed with, not only their, their process of doing it, but just their commitment to, to staying on top of all the intricacies of, the, of, of, of what the game of football presents, but the ability to collect it, you know, analyze it, and then put it into new filters and, in, in designing, you know, new programs that that really make things quicker and for the coaches and, and players to to study and because you know at the end of the day we all have the same amount of time and energy to to do this job and when you have you know tools as as what PFF has has created, you know it, it's it's definitely something that's uh, I, I think it speaks for itself that every NFL club is has looked into or, or, or is utilizing. Mike, we'll end with this on this brief little preview of what I'm doing this week, both in my column and on the uh, podcast. But you also showed me a flow chart of what you want basically your football technology department to be. And you have seven dedicated employees on that flow chart to analytics and football technology. So it seems like you really sort of want to push the envelope in that area. Oh, definitely. I, I, it, it's, it's important because, you know, our, our job is, as coaches is, is how, you know, how, how do we instruct and how do we, you know, create the best environment for our pl players to be prepared to perform. So um, I, I think the resources are, are at an all-time high uh, as far as, you know, how, how, how you evaluate the game and, and I think, you know, as we were able to talk uh, through the, the flow chart, the organizational chart, just a distinct job description of each position and, and how it fits uh, to the coaching staff, to the personnel department, you know, to the wellness people that, that directly support uh, the football team, the, you know, particularly the locker room. So uh, I think it's a vital component of today's NFL. So... Instead of reading the entire McCarthy uh, column to you, I'm going to read part of it, like the first third, and then hope that you come and uh, read the rest of it. Then I'll get into the rest of the column. So here we are. Dateline. 
Ledgeview, Wisconsin. It would be unfair to say that Mike McCarthy has reinvented himself in the 54 weeks since getting fired by the Green Bay Packers. However, as he prepares for what he hopes will be a second chance to be an NFL coach come January on his 20-acre place eight miles from Lambeau Field, tinkering is most definitely happening. He works many days in silence, with his two-year-old lab Gus keeping him company in the corner of his office on the second floor of a huge refurbished barn garage full-court basketball floor. He analyzes NFL trends from 2019, and he preps his detailed plan for the next gig. Less volume, more creativity is one of the signs at his desk. And he's taken that seriously. When you go 23-23-1 in your last three years with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback in all but five of those games, you know you'd better adapt. Or you'll remain an ex-coach. In the span of three meetings with the 56-year-old McCarthy in the tundra last week, one slide on his deck spoke volumes about where he's at with his future. It's his football tech plan. There's a flow chart for his proposed 14-person football technology department, including six people in video and an eight-person analytics team. The chief of football technology tops the department, which will run both video and analytics. The top analytics lieutenant will be a coordinator of database management, coordinator of football analytics, and coordinator of mathematical innovation. Below them, football technology engineer, football technology analyst, and football technology analyst. Another one. And finally, a football technology intern. McCarthy spent a day last summer at PFF offices in Cincinnati, that's pro football focus, discovering how much more data is available than he'd realized. PFF data will be a key component of his analytics tree, as will GPS tracking of players and next-gen stats. The mathematical innovation hire will be crucial. This guy here has to see the world differently, McCarthy said, pointing to that job on the flowchart. He will be very, very important. During his Green Bay tenure, McCarthy once asked an analytics candidate for a Packer job to spend a couple of days observing everything they do on the football side of the business. Come up with a few suggestions how we could do things better, McCarthy asked. And this young math guy from Harvard observed a ball-stripping drill where, defender, where defenders tomahawked down on the ball trying to force fumbles. The guy came back a few days later with math formulas suggesting that it would be more efficient to punch from below the football in the ball carrier's arms. McCarthy was convinced the Packers changed the drill. I asked McCarthy if he'd watched Jeopardy last summer. He didn't. I mentioned the summer run of the brilliant James Holzhauer, who obliterated opponents for 32 straight games and won $2.7 million. His mode, be very aggressive, very fast, and always bet big. I met Holzhauer in July and wrote about him, and he had different ideas about football strategy and football betting that I hadn't heard before.
McCarthy had heard of him. And when I told him, Holzhauer told me last summer he wanted to work in analytics for a football or baseball team, the coach perked up. I want to talk to him, McCarthy said. So that's the first third of what I wrote about McCarthy. Some interesting stuff uh, after that, just such as exactly what he's trying to do uh, in the next iteration of him. And I really think you'll enjoy it. So we're going to move on to <clears throat> some stories of the week that I thought were really interesting this week. Um, I'll, I'll read you three of those. Um, and here are the three. Cool for the Bills, but the division title is still pretty unlikely. Buffalo's four-pick night won a survivalist game in Pittsburgh, 17-10, and clinched a playoff berth for the second time in three years for Buffalo. Tredavious White, smart and anticipatory and tough, bolstered his all-pro campaign with two more interceptions off Devlin Hodges. The 10-4 Bills play the 11-3 Patriots next Saturday afternoon in Foxborough, but the Bills have to go 2-0 down the stretch and New England 0-2 for Buffalo to win the AFC East for the first time since 1995. New England has the common foe tiebreaker by virtue of beating Philly and Cleveland, while Buffalo lost to both. If the Bills, who clinched the playoff spot Sunday night, make the playoffs as the fifth seed, it's possible they could have to beat Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes all on the road to get to the Super Bowl. Yikes. For a team that hasn't won a playoff game in this century, that is a big task. Like Coach McDermott has told us, this team is not connected to the past. Tredavious White told me from Pittsburgh after the game, we're our own team. We want to write our own story. When we go to New England, it's a big game, but we'll do what we've done all year. Don't try to be nobody we're not. Run to the ball. Be one of 11. Go into the game and just do what we do. That's been good for us so far. The Bills have allowed just 14.3 points per game in their recent 5-2 and two run, and they showed Sunday night they're going to be tough for any team to beat. Stout run defense and a heck of a secondary led by White will keep them in most games. As White told me, the football gods have been blessing me all year. I just try to be the best version of myself every week. My second little section, very bad loss for the Niners. Or was it? The San Francisco locker room was disconsolate Sunday after the weird, weird ending of a 29-22 loss to Atlanta. The Falcons scored two touchdowns in the last three seconds to stun the Niners. So even though San Francisco qualified for the playoffs Sunday night for the first time since 2013, by virtue of the Rams' loss at Dallas, the players didn't feel much like partying. What? We clinched? That's weird. Veteran tackle Joe Staley said postgame. The loss left San Francisco at 11-3, the fifth seed in the NFC tournament for now, while boosting 11-3 Seattle to number one. But here's the good news. 
San Francisco wins the division with a 2-0 finish. Sounds easy enough till you remember the 49ers play the Rams in Week 16 at home and the Seahawks in Week 17 to end the season. Week 17 finds Seattle hosting San Francisco. What a schedule the Niners have had this year. And here they get tripped up by the struggling Falcons. Jameis makes his case. The Bucs are suddenly dangerous. They've won five of six, averaging 31 points a game in that impressive run. And no matter who they play at wide receiver, Jameis Winston finds a way to hit them. On Sunday in Detroit, he became the first quarterback ever to throw for more than 450 yards in back-to-back games. The only negative is that Winston leads the league in interceptions, too, as well as passing yards. And he just doesn't seem to be able to make those picks stop. The one thing I have to work on is protecting the football, he told me from Detroit, after the rout of the Lions. And he's right. If I'm Bucks GM Jason Light, I try to do a bridge deal with Winston, maybe two years near the top of the market, while seeing if coaches Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich can coach the giveaways out of him. But I do not let Jameis Winston go. Would you have let a bombs away Matthew Stafford or Phillip Rivers get away after five seasons? As Winston told me, of course I want to be in Tampa, but we've got to finish the season first. Whoever makes the decision, I really hope it ends up with me staying. The other issue for Tampa. At 7-7 seven and seven now, they're unlikely to have a top 10 draft choice and unlikely to be in position to take a top three quarterback in the 2020 draft. It's all lining up for Winston to enter a sixth year as Tampa quarterback in 2020, and rightfully so. So a few more of those I have in here, uh, and I hope you go to NBCSports.com or football uh, to read Football Morning in America. Um, a lot of fun stuff in there, including in my awards section, my team of the week, the Newtown High School football team in Newtown, Connecticut. As you may have heard, an incredible story. Seven years to the day after the Sandy Hook school shooting in Newtown killed 26 elementary school children and staff, Newtown faced off against Darien High School in the Class LL High School Championship game. With 3.6 seconds left in a 7-7 game and the ball at the Darien 36-yard line, Newtown quarterback Jack Street threw deep down the right side to whiteout Riley Ward, who scored a walk-off touchdown. That is really one of the coolest stories. Now to the part of the program you absolutely love the most. A comment about every game in the NFL on Sunday. Here we go. Kansas City 23, Denver 3. Was it just me, or did Drew Locke look like he was playing in a blizzard and Patrick Mahomes look like he was playing on Miami Beach? What a fantastically normal game for, for Patrick Mahomes, even though they only put up 23 points. You know, he had it all going on in the passing game. Looked very, very good, I thought. I'll tell you what, the Chiefs are going to be trouble in, in January. 
they have got a defense now, and you can't tell much because they played on a skating rink, but I think they're going to be a very interesting team in January. Philadelphia 37, Washington 27. You know, uh, the Greg Ward story I just think is the coolest story there is. Here's Greg Ward. He's the quarterback of the University of Houston. He's on the practice squad for two and a half years in Philadelphia. He just wants to play football. He even goes to the AAF for a while. Uh, and against Josh Norman with the game on the line, he catches a beautiful throw from Carson Wentz in the end zone, um, and good for him. He said after the game, I'm going to send the game ball to my mother. <laughs> what, a, what a cool story. Houston 24, Tennessee 21. I just think Tennessee, you know, has been a little bit, uh, I, I mean, has been hot as blazes and has been excellent. But I really wanted to see what happened when they played a game that was absolutely huge and a game that they uh, were going to have to play really well to win. I mean, look at their last three wins. Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Oakland. I mean, not a great team among them. And here they were playing basically for the division. And they just didn't play that well. Um, the Giants, 36, Miami, 20. So happy, even though I've been a critic of, not necessarily of Eli Manning, but of the Giants' basic uh, desire to just relive the past at every turn. You know, sentimentality wins nothing in football. However, on a day that sentimentality really meant something uh, in New Jersey, thought Eli Manning was great. I thought it was so cool, the video they shot of him after the game in the Giants locker room. Good for Eli in what could be his last game, not only for the Giants, but in the NFL. Seattle 30, Carolina 24. One of the best and most underrated statistics of this or any other year is that the Seattle Seahawks this season had five trips to the Eastern time zone. Five games in Eastern time this year. Every one of them was a 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. body clock game. In other words, they're a Pacific time zone team. They were coming to the Eastern time zone, and every game was at 1 o'clock in Eastern time, 10 o'clock Pacific time. Seattle's record in those games, five wins, zero losses. New England 34, Cincinnati 13. Uh, this was a game that I think Ben Volan of the Boston Globe wrote it. He goes, hey, the offense barely got out, it just basically got out of the way. A great game by Stephon Gilmore uh, in the secondary with a, with a great uh, anticipatory pick six off Andy Dalton. Um, and Andy Dalton, one of his final starts before the Joe Burrow era begins. Tampa Bay 38, Detroit 17. I mean, Jameis Winston's amazing, really. I think he's got an awful lot of pressure on him now. He's got receivers dropping like flies. Uh, both Evans uh, and Godwin now have hamstring injuries. <laughs> They've still got two games left to play. But as I wrote, boy, it almost doesn't matter who the receivers are. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. They get a national TV game. He'll be on display against a good defense, uh, the Houston Texans defense on, sun, on uh, Saturday in Tampa. By the way, I love that triple header idea on NFL Network uh, that's going to be on Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Green Bay 21, Chicago 13. I'll tell you, the Packers, 
you know, obviously at 11-3, and three, how can you complain? It's been a dream first season under Matt LaFleur. And, and again, the weather was really, really cold in Green Bay on Sunday. They just haven't been a smooth-running offensive machine every week. We'll see how that stacks up going into the playoffs. Uh, but I'm sure this is a team that in its remaining two games – at Minnesota, at Detroit, especially because they're going to be on indoor fast tracks. Um, the, the, the Packers are really going to try to get it going offensively better than they have been. Arizona 38, Cleveland 24. What might have been the last game for Larry Fitzgerald in the desert. Um, that's the last home game of the Cardinals for the year. Not a good day for Freddie Kitchens and the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, the Arizona Cardinals... Uh, had lost six straight, and Cleveland um, could not handle them, and Cleveland gave up 38 points to the Arizona Cardinals. Jacksonville 20, Oakland 16. I just love watching Gardner Minshew play football. How fun is he? You know, everything is a uh, – you know, every play is sort of on a, on a canvas – and it's so much fun to watch, you know, because you just have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, Minnesota 39, uh, the Chargers 10. And look, Minnesota's really good. On a given day, they can beat anybody in the NFL by 10 points. They can. They're, that's how good they are. Um, if they get quarterback consistency in the playoffs, this is a team, I think, that could win three road games and play in the Super Bowl. Can, not will, but can. Um, the NFC is going to be a really, really good playoff conference this year, by the way. Uh, and on the other side, man, are we seeing the end of Phillip Rivers with the Chargers? Just, a, you know, an ugly, ugly day and a bad season for the Los Angeles Chargers. Dallas 44, Rams 21. This is the game that the Dallas Cowboys drew up in the offseason. This is the kind of game they would like to play. It was over early. And, you know, I think the fact that they've only played a couple of these games this year, maybe the Philadelphia game and this game, they have not played with any consistency. That's not going to be good for Jason Garrett when it comes time uh, to figure out what the future is for him. Um, Atlanta, 29, San Francisco, 22. Look, one of the most shocking <laughs> games of this year. But I, I just have one question to ask about Atlanta. How can they be so bad most of the year and win at New Orleans uh, and at San Francisco? Somebody explain that to me. I do not think it reflects well on, on the coaching of that team. And finally, Buffalo 17, Pittsburgh 10. I, I totally was into what Chris Collinsworth was talking about with Tredavious White, uh, the cornerback for the Bills, two picks. Uh, I'll tell you. The Buffalo-New England game on Saturday in Foxborough, that is going to be some must-see TV. So those are my uh, games of the, uh, of the week in the NFL. And as usual, we're going to finish this mini-pod with what I like to say is your favorite point of my column, the Adu Haiku. Here we go. Week 15, Adu Haiku. Been hard on Eli, but he is one class person. Loved that win for him. And that's it. Sorry for the late post. 
with the podcast, with the FMIA mini-pod. But please, go to NBCSports.com and ProFootballTalk.com to find my column, Football Morning in America. And we'll talk again next Monday.